The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm Benjamin Shapiro, the executive producer of the MarTech Podcast, and today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by Juan Mendoza, the author of the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. Juan is a recovering MarTech consultant turned creator who writes an amazing weekly newsletter about the MarTech industry. And I'm thrilled to invite him and some of his friends to take the mic and share their knowledge with you, our loyal MarTech Podcast listeners. All right, here's a special episode of the MarTech Podcast, guest hosted by Juan Mendoza, the author of the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. Hello, hello, marketers. My name is Juan Mendoza from the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, and today we are going to discuss leveraging permissioned consumer data and ethical targeted data collection. Okay, leveraging permissioned consumer data and ethical targeted data collection. Uh, there's a lot of words in there. We're going to unpack them. And the person we're going to unpack them with is Brian Mandelbaum. He is the CEO of Attain. Attain's mission is to empower marketers to make better business decisions by providing access to permissioned commerce data through a financial app, retail loyalty, and account linking, SKU level APIs, and the industry's largest, most holistic consumer panel. Yesterday, Brian and I did a deep dive into why permission consumer data is so valuable to retail media right now and how Attain is tackling the challenges around privacy. Today, we're going to talk about how to collect targeted consumer data ethically. One of the hottest button topics right now in the MarTech world is how to do that in a way that's ethical in a way that consumers feel informed and that we're also adhering to the government regulators, which are on our heels. But here's our conversation with Brian Mandelbaum, part two. He's the CEO of Attain. Now, Brian, I want to talk a little bit about the ethics and the privacy aspect of this data collection and data sharing economy. But first, I want to start with this bit of a story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sephora. Sephora made news last year where they were fined $1.2 million for unethical practices in collecting and sharing consumer data with ad networks. So this was one of the new California regulatory body fines, and it found that they actually sold 
consumers' data to third-party trackers to get targeted ads and discounts on analytics. Now, California uh, regulatory body says that Sephora actually failed to follow opt-out requests that its customer made via its browser privacy controls as well. So I guess I want to couch this in, well, when we think about regulation and privacy fines, the first place you go to is probably the big tech companies. That's all the headlines, the Amazons and the Googles and the Oracles of the world getting in trouble, getting into hot water really with privacy regulators. But it's not only them now, it's retailers like Sephora, which is absolutely fascinating. So I guess we take that example and I want to throw it to you. How do you approach the ethical aspect of consumer data? How do you ensure that permission consumer data is collected and used in a way that's fair and ethical and above board? It's funny because a lot of people think that this regulation that's happening globally, Europe, and what you mentioned in California is some sort of onerous privacy regulation that's unnecessary and a tax on business. I think that it's far more practical than most people give it credit for. The way that you source data and the way that these regulations have been written, if you really boil it down, the core of it is around, did you get permission from the consumer and for what? And are you honoring their ability to opt out? That's really what it comes down to. There's far more companies out there that are practicing this very ethically. They're getting permission from consumers. They're honoring opt-outs, but they aren't necessarily telling the consumer in an overt way, but that still fits the bill of what the regulators care about. The regulators care, are you getting permission? Have you disclosed what you're using it for? And you honor opt-out, but they bury it in a privacy policy. That's the really the debate around ethics here. The ethical argument that everybody needs to think about is, if privacy is at the forefront, why is it buried in a privacy policy in the background? That's really the big question. Because like what Attain does in a much different way is we have a privacy policy that is constructed by our attorneys to meet the regulatory bodies of California and all of the other states. We only operate in the US right now. But we actually bring the plain English argument of what we're doing to the consumer in their face on a consumer-facing application. We don't we say if you want more information, you can look at the privacy policy. But here is what we're collecting, here is what we're doing with it. Obviously, you have the rights to opt out at any point and then let you opt in to our program if you're okay with that. If you're not, we're sorry to see you go and we'll always be here in the future. But that's the ethical argument. It is interesting, right? Because there's so many different viewpoints on how you value consumer data. And as you mentioned before, this is a tip someone gave me once. The best place to hide your password is at the bottom of a privacy policy uh, terms and conditions that you have to sign off on. Because guess what? No one reads it. That's a great joke. Well, there's another place, which is in the last five minutes of every podcast episode, because apparently nobody listens to that either. (laughs) (laughs) But this problem, which is consumers knowing what they're signing up for and knowing what they're giving up in terms of their data and their preferences. That's really hard. It's extremely hard because all of the incentives are working against it. You have growth marketers that are trying to get people to convert and buy stuff, and you don't want to slow people down through that process because that's commercially impactful to a business. You have consumers that, let's face it, a lot of them don't care. I mean, if they did care, they would actually read it. And if consumers did care and society cared, we'd teach kids about it in high school, which I've seen very little of. I've seen very little actual education of young people and teenagers on when you sign up for Discord or for Roblox or for Fortnite, what are you getting? And our generation, the internet was just emerging. So we didn't have all these technologies to learn about when we were younger. So societally, we don't really care just about educating and helping people understand what they're actually doing when they're signing up. 
And so there's all of these incentives working against us. Consumers don't care. Brands want to grow and they don't want to muddy the experience for users as they're buying and shopping and consuming content. But I guess if you're talking to an executive, like say, let's do a bit of a role play. Okay, I'm a marketing executive, say I'm a CMO, and I'm like, okay, why should I care about this stuff? What would be the top three reasons that you would give to say a CMO that's thinking about strengthening their own privacy policies or the way they contact customers and communicate with them about their privacy? It ultimately boils down to a public relations issue because when the regulators do come knocking and that happened with Sephora, do you want to align with partners that get data ethically from consumers or would you like to be buying from brokers who there's a daisy chain or a chain of custody that you're not sure where the source of that data is coming from and where that permission actually was sourced originally? That's what it really comes down to. Also, it's really hard if you don't know where the source of that data is, if it actually is accurate. That's another thing to concern. It's like, make no mistake, first-party data is the best kind of data. And brands should absolutely develop practices and methods and strategies on how they collect it to know more about their customer. But it's not a novel concept. It's called CRM. That's existed for decades. So it's really just a digital CRM. Now they call it a CDP. There's a lot of different carnations of this, but it is generally a CRM. It's when you start to widen the data set of things you don't know, like it's airplane air. It's like retargeting. CRM is retargeting. You're talking to the same people that you already, you already know about your people. You're targeting the same people. How do you fill that funnel with new customers? How do you increase your market share? How do you go after competitors? How do you increase lifetime value of an existing customer? Well, you have to go a little bit outside of the four walls of your brand. And that's where the privacy thing becomes a little bit more precarious because you're not the one that has the relationship with the customer. Yeah, I like that point about it's not so much about ticking boxes for regulators. It's actually about the relationship you want with your consumer. And a long time ago, I was working with a company and a large travel business, and we were talking about the shifts in consumer privacy attitudes, and their brand values was actually about safety. Like what they were about as a company more than anything else was safety. And I kind of gave them this feedback because we said, well, the consumers are really concerned about the data that's being collected about them that's growing year on year, and particularly young people are even more concerned than others. And I asked them a question, like, well, what are you doing about this? And they said, well, we're just waiting for the regulation comes and we'll adhere to that. And I guess we'll get an email at some point for us to, you know, change our policies if we need to. And I said to him, you're missing the point. This is actually about a relationship with your customer. This isn't about ticking a box. This is actually about a relationship that you want to maintain. And if at the core of your business is trust and safety, then wouldn't you want to invest into that safety aspect of your business with your data and how you use it as well? So I think it's a great point. It's about the public relations, about your brand, but also a lot of this actually just has to do with getting your house in order. It's also about security. It's like, how many times have you heard of data breaches? Maybe it hasn't necessarily hit the marketing sector yet, but you've heard of data breaches and someone's data is out there in the black market and you didn't even know how they even sourced it because it was bought and purchased through another method. It was an affiliate or a non-affiliated entity. And that's where customers start to lose trust because, listen, stuff happens. Hackers hack into governments and things like that. I'm not trying to be an alarmist by any stretch of the imagination, but at least you know that you had a relationship there. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? 
Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So all of this wraps up to just really strong data governance in brands, like having this, the skills, the experience, but also the ethical framework to go as a brand, this is how we think about how we manage the data. One brand that I use constantly in my examples when I do presentations and research is Zero.com. Zero.com is a accounting finance software platform. Of course, data sensitivity is a massive part of their business because it's financial. But they say in all their branding, they say that we respect your data with as much trust and care as we would respect as you as a person. They say if you're in our office, if you're in our shop front, we are going to treat you very well, right? We're not going to talk about you. We're not going to be abusing you because no one wants to abuse their customers. In the same way, we don't want to do that with your data as well because it reflects your business and you as a person. And I think that's a, quite a beautiful way to think about data privacy. But I want to talk a bit more of a practical question. I mean, you've been following this through line for quite some time now, Brian, but where can marketers go to be skilled up in this stuff? Like, where can they find best practices and guidelines? What are the sort of best quality information sources that you're finding out there right now? I would argue the best place to seek specific information about privacy regulation is to contact a lawyer because it's been moving so fast. I'm, there's no like central website to go to. Here's a great example of this. CCPA was created in early 2020, and it got rebooted again earlier this year to CPRA. And it's evolving and enforcement's changing. I think that every brand should do two things. One, obviously have counsel to speak to when they're making changes to how they want to collect data and understanding what things they want to be able to get in the future from a consumer and what value exchange they're going to be providing. And is it ethical? Is it legal? And all the things that come from that but also have governance software. There's a bunch of startups, Asana's one, there's a host of other ones that are out there that provide marketers with the ability to put gates in place, to honor opt-outs, data furnishment requests. It's sort of a little bit of a boring subject to talk about because it's kind of legal things that marketers should do in checkbox along the way, but that's a way to maintain compliance because software will be able to be updated in the cloud to basically meet the needs of the regional regulator. 
So your advice is to lawyer up. Yeah, because every state, if you look at the US in particular, I don't know a ton about Australian regulation. I know about European and the United States. And every state has their own rules. I will not mix words here. It is complicated to understand the differences and the nuances between California and Connecticut and Vermont and Colorado and Texas and the federal government level. I don't know if that's by design or not, but I will tell you that still the same guiding principles do hold true, which is get permission from the consumer, honor their ability to opt out, and tell them what you're doing with the data. That's really it. It doesn't matter what state or sovereignty you're in. Those are pretty much the guiding principles. And if you complete those checkboxes, you're pretty much insulated from a regulator trying to have an enforcement action on you. Sephora, to what you said earlier, was enforced upon because they did not disclose that they were ever going to sell the data. If they disclosed that, it would be a different story. I doubt they ever would because consumers wouldn't want to share the data, but that's all they really needed to do. I think that's a great point in that every brand has different types of data as well. Like if you talk to a pharma brand versus a SaaS business versus a retailer, all of those brands have different types of data and different levels of regulation. I think that this is very nuanced and specific. So I like your advice there in that there's no silver bullet. There's no PDF you can read where you'll get all the information. It's actually you need to do the analysis with somebody that's from the legal industry to help you navigate it. So yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. And the rules are changing. In the US alone, last month, the CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, came out with a statement that said that they were going to be investigating how data brokers handle personal identifiable information. And is it sensitive? And is it punitive? And does it create redlining and things like that? That affects the marketing ecosystem at its core. That did not exist a month ago. That's the federal level in the United States. So you just got to be keeping up with the rules and regulations and use a partner and a counselor to help you guide through that. Mm, That's fantastic. We want to wrap up with this conversation a little bit on the value exchange aspect of this scenario. So as you mentioned before, Attain, you're offering your value exchange direct to consumer and you're collecting consumer panel data, all kinds of great data. How do you map that out? Like, how do you think about the value you're going to give to consumer for that data collection? And what kind of lessons can we learn out of that? What we've learned is that the data value actually increases as you get closer to a cash register. So really, if you think about the marketing funnel, whether you're a male or a female is worth one thing, the value of it. I mean, there's no real dollar amount, but there's an intrinsic value is worth one thing. If you like yoga or baseball, it's worth another thing. If you want to buy tickets to a baseball game that you might do search, search is expensive. That's worth another thing. Did you buy the ticket? And to what game is worth another thing? And as you go further down that funnel, you start to learn that the value to marketers starts to increase. We take an approach of gamification with our consumers, which is the more data that you share with us, the more value that we'll unlock for you. But we care about, obviously, how old you are and where you live and the sort of basic demography data, maybe some psychographics. But we unlock more benefits that cost us money to create that value exchange, the more that you're sharing with us at the purchase level. So that's whether you're linking a financial institution for your debit or credit cards or sharing your retail loyalty accounts at Kroger, Walmart, Target, Amazon, Ulta, Best Buy, Home Depot, et cetera. We will do more things for you as a company in that exchange. And we find that that is what keeps consumers interested because we learned early on in this business, and I'll wrap up here, which is if you ask someone to share data with them and you're giving them like 50 cents, they pretty much would tell you 
to buzz off. And I, there's probably a stronger word they would use. But if you're asking someone to share this kind of data and it's very meaningful because it's where they're purchasing, you better have a real value exchange in front of them, period. It is almost like an accounting question, isn't it? As a business, it's how much value do we want to expend as a business versus what's the forecast of return on that asset, which is the data collection that we get. Correct. And most brands, probably attain can answer those questions because you're actively monetizing the data as a product and service. But most brands are like, okay, we got 3 million email addresses in our database and maybe 2% of them will buy emails, bounce off from our email campaigns each month. Well, what about all the ad tech stuff? Well, it's a bit of a black box. We don't know. We just kind of send that data off. You know. So again, it goes back to, I think the ethical aspect of a conversation around data privacy is more about getting your house in order. It's much more practical than philosophical. And I think that's actually what was really shone through this conversation. So that wraps up our episode of the MarTech podcast. Thank you to Brian Mandelbaum from Attain for joining us. Fascinating conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with Brian or learn more about what he's doing in the marketplace, you can check out his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company website at attaindata.io. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to our guest host, Juan Mendoza, the author of the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. If you'd like to get in touch with Juan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Juan Mendoza, but it's spelled crazy pants. It's J-U-4-N-M-E-N-D-0-Z-4. Or it's a little easier to just visit his company's website, which is themartechweekly.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletters and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.